Welcome once again to the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 167. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, and subscribe. Tell a friend about our incredible little show here that is being heard all over the planet. And thanks to AI, you can hear it in your native language now. We saw what they did with Lionel Messi. They funneled his voice into a computer and the words came out in English and they lip synced his mouth to make it look like he was speaking. It was very effective. I knew it was AI though. But will we know in the future? I always wanted to be in a French movie and now I can because they can say, take what I say, funnel it through a computer and all of a sudden I'm Alain Delon. Dated reference, I'm sorry. So there's some good things that come out of it. But obviously, it's a very scary time in our world. But we're not here to talk about AI. We're here to talk about the least popular international window out there. That is the September window following a World Cup. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. It's a bit of a distraction for players, but they'll do it. The marquee taken by the United States in their two games against Uzbekistan and Oman. We will be joined in the business end by... Heath Pierce, good friend of the show, former U.S. international, also working on MLS season pass, and he's got his hands on so many things in American soccer media. I like to call him a bit of a heavy hitter. Then, in check complete, we will break down the state of starting your World Cup qualification. 33 months out from the actual tournament. 33 months. That is what we're looking at I don't want to diminish it. It was a lot of fun. We got these South American qualifiers. I enjoyed watching them. But now let's get going. Great European weekend also coming up. Big games in South America. A lot to look forward. The soccer, soccer, <laughs> the soccer OG starts right now. Just to put a bow on it, and I said big South American fixtures. They are. Later on this month, you have the Copa Libertadores semifinals. Once again, Brazilian clubs dominating. It is all Brazil in the first. This will be on September 27th. Fluminense versus Internacional. And then the day after, you have Boca Juniors, the one lone non-Brazilian team. Obviously, you know, Argentine great. Taking on Palmeiras, the top team in South America. You could probably say, you know, the contemporary top team in South America. They're always here in the business end. And uh, they'd probably be my pick to win it. Again, it's just... A, a remarkable club. Uh, it's good to see. You have the Fluminense from Rio Internacional from down south in Porto Alegre. Palmeiras from Sao Paulo. But still, it's three Brazilian teams. It could be four. Could have been. Actually, it would have been Racing. My team in Argentina lose to Boca. I'm not here to talk about South American qualifiers. But since I started there, let's talk about South America. And it's sometimes with the media driving me crazy about how we present news and we do it in one certain way. We don't deviate from that. And it's just something I was reading this week. Messi, Lionel Messi. I know we always have every show with Messi, but he really, he's moving my world in an incredible clip and I'm very appreciative. He bought a house in Fort Lauderdale, which by the way, Fort Lauderdale is, is up and coming. It is not a high rent district by any means. It's not Miami. Fort Lauderdale is going to be very expensive because Miami is small and people are going to push out. But everyone's going, Lionel Messi buys $10.7 million mansion. Like, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. And they're going, oh, and he's got a boat here. And, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, Lionel Messi is worth what? I mean, is he, what's he raking in? $200 million a year? $250? Do you think $10.75 million? I mean, that's like, that is like, I'm not going to diminish it too much. But that's like $5,000 for the rest of it. That is like one of us buying... An $80,000 house. I'm dead serious. 
He should be living in fifty million dollar homes if there isn't there. But you know what? I'm trying. I mean, I I can't take all the Lionel Messi uh, euphoria, but he keeps doing things that endear himself to me. He buys a house in Fort Lauderdale, not an obnoxious one in Miami next to Shakira and DJ Khaled. He buys one in Fort Lauderdale. It's nice. It's good. It's got access to a boat. Uh, some waterways. He has his captain. People go crazy. You know, people go crazy. He goes, he has a captain of a boat? Well, he's worth he's worth a billion dollars. Yeah. The other things we go, oh my God, he's got such an attractive wife. Go, yeah, he's a, he's a billionaire. That's what happens. That's what happens when you make money. You get an attractive wife. You get a nice house. You get a butler. I mean, but this is, this is astronomical. And I, I, I'm sorry I get all wound up, but people are 10 points. I go, 10.75. This guy is being as frugal as you can get. I'm not diminishing money, but by the way, if you make that kind of money, if I did, real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate, just keep getting and building. And I'm sure he'll move to Miami to a much more expensive, but he wants to be the privacy. But the incredible thing, he built it, it's like 10 minutes from the stadium in Fort Lauderdale, which will be there, the home for Inter-Miami for a couple more years, and even closer to the training facility. He wants convenience. And then there's this other part of the story where people are up in, up in arms go, they printed the address. Yeah, you shouldn't print the address. But do you think people are that dumb that they wouldn't figure it out? <laughs> Come on, let's report better. Let's let's not, let's not just go look at it. Look at the news and say, okay, ten point seven five million. Let's spin this a little differently. That's not a lot of money for Lionel Messi. That's a real savvy buy. That's a good investment. Maybe it'll be worth fourteen fifteen. Smart guy. <laughs> I had to say because everything's like presented in such a way, and you don't see the. They're not to say this is a a, a subject that has got us conflicted, but uh, it, these are the things. Anyway, I've con contributed five minutes of the show to that. Uh, I'm going to talk about the South American qualifiers in the news segment, known as Check Complete. I like it. I really like it. I've outdone myself with my branding. Looking at some of the. Uh, the matches from European qualifiers. It's not too soon to qualify for the Euros. That's coming up in next summer. So we're looking at nine months. That's a nice time to continue or to be continuing your qualification. Not 33 months. And some really interesting stories that we were able to see. I was happy to see Norway start to come to life. And we talk about Erling Haaland and we talk about Martin Odegaard. But now we're going to start talking about Antonio Nusa who is this 18-year-old, plays in, in Belgium. He's not going to be playing there much longer. And he's going to follow Holland's loot. Maybe he's a Man City player. I don't know. I don't know what the rumors are saying. But he looks very good. Started his career in Norway, now to Belgium. And another incredible talent coming from Norway. That's why I'm happy the World Cup is expanding, because I don't think we'd get Norway in a 32-team World Cup. They're a little bit messy. Um, Nusa is of Nigerian descent. So uh, we had some really good qualifiers. I mean, the European qualifiers, the big story is Italy going to miss another major competition. Remember, they missed the last two World Cups. They are the reigning champions in the Euros. Probably shouldn't have to qualify, but they are. And are, uh, are, are fighting very hard to make sure that they don't miss another one. They're in Group C with England, Ukraine, North Macedonia, and Malta. Italy were able to beat Ukraine on, uh, what day was that? Tuesday, 2-1 at the San Siro, I believe. Uh, Davide Fratesi scoring. A guy, a player I'm not too familiar with, but I, I hear he's with Inter. 
and he is coming up. But prior to that, they tied at North Macedonia. They The Euros started back in March. Uh, they lost to England at home. So people are worried. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. But uh, that is uh, uh, an interesting story. I mean, the Euros, it's going to be so good. Man, I'm starting to, I mean, starting to think, and I'm going to talk about my favorite for the Euros, how good that competition is going to be. I stand by my comment. France-Argentina was as big as it could get in a final. But prior to that, Italy-England for a final felt like one of the biggest World Cup finals, even though it was a Euro final. It felt bigger than France-Croatia. Uh, it's felt bigger than some of the other World Cup finals we've had prior to that. Yeah, yeah one in Brazil. Germany, Argentina, well, I don't know. Obviously, playing at Wembley helped. Scotland, even though we'll talk about that England result, five wins out of five in Group A. They've beaten Spain. Norway's in that group. That's not good that Scotland's running away for the Norwegians in their attempts to qualify for the Euros. Albania's been a really interesting story, and... Poland's the team, and I wouldn't miss, you know, maybe it's nice to have Poland out of a major competition. They, you know, they haven't really provided much. Albania beat the Poles, tied Czechia. It's no longer the Czech Republic. It is Czechia. And, uh, you know, I was looking at this Albania team. They're pretty good. Pretty good. Players that uh, you will be familiar with. Uh, Nadim Bajrami plays at Sassuolo. Um... A good squad. I mean, there's talent there, and there's so many ethnic Albanians that represent other countries. But I, I don't want to get too down the, the wormhole on that. But they've been a really. I, I love Albania is another reason why World Cup expansion would be good to get Albania in a World Cup. Provides a lot. Maybe not for you, but for me. I'm going to quickly go to England Scotland. That was a friendly, and uh, the. It was, uh, there was a lot, that was a big, I, I sat down and I watched that game. It was on Tuesday. It was at Hamden Park. Uh, the Scots booed the English anthem, which I'm not crazy about, man. I, I know, hey, it's a big rivalry, but look, booing the anthems, you know what? It's going to make us get rid of anthems. So don't boo anthems. I know the history. I know, I know, I know. But then you see, if we boo them, then we just stop playing them, which would be, Unfortunate. Anyhow, I'm a big fan of the Tartan Army in Scotland. You know, my uh, many of my, what is that? What is that term? Um, many people who taught me a lot of things in, my mentors are Scottish, including the great Dermot McQuarrie at Fox Sports World and Fox Soccer Channel really gave me my first break. So I'm good with the Scots. Campbell McLaren, who hired me at Combate Global. Scots, they're good by me. Good peeps. They got a lesson from England. And a 3-1 defeat at home. Well, didn't get a shot on target, did Scotland. And, you know, people, we, we, I was with you about the perception of England and making fun of them and about all these fake um, hopes and the perception that they are the top world club and top world nation. They really are. And Gareth Southgate's still there. The This team... We we still want to point fingers yet they haven't it's never coming home. It's never reached that pinnacle. And it hasn't, you know, quarterfinals of this past World Cup, they should have made the semifinals. They should have made the semifinals. Should have knocked out the French. Then you have the finals in the Euros. Then you have the semifinals in the World Cup. They've been one of the most consistently good teams in 
uh, on the planet, really, or certainly in Europe. And Scotland, which we just told you, went five for five in Euros, coming up, better talent there, just got smashed. And this England team could be better because we were thinking, how are they going to usher in the new talent? The new talent's already in there. Jude Bellingham uh, playing that central midfield role at the grand old age of 20 years of age. Sorry, I said the word age twice. Phil Foden. Phil Foden. He is uh, now 23. I mean, I thought he was younger. I thought Phil Foden was younger than that. Bukaya Saka, 22 years of age. So the young players are already embedded. They all have World Cup experience, playing big games, playing for the biggest clubs uh, uh, around the world. And, you know, Harry Kane, he can keep going. He, he, the way he plays, he can extend his career. He's just 30, though, which is uh, pretty remarkable, too. He's going to be there in 2026. England is going to win the Euros. I'm telling you that right now. They've been hovering around winning that. They're going to win the Euros. I know people say they don't have the defense. And people criticizing Harry Maguire, who has had a pretty good track record while playing for England. Again, the fans get after him. Uh, Is Harry Maguire, should be starting for England? No. Do they have better options? Hard to say. I mean, Mark Gahey and uh, Lewis Dunk started that. Uh, Tamori, I don't know if that guy is... Would, I would be comfortable putting him in there. He's still very green. Hasn't had a great start for AC Milan. But, you know, we talk about this and everyone's going, Harry Maguire, ha, 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 ha. Again, this is what we talk about, the presentation of the news. Harry Maguire, that was a story out of this game. If you watch that game, Harry Maguire had an own goal. But if you watch that game and that was your talking point, then I can't, I, I, I cannot talk to you. England was majestic. And with all that I've said already that they're going to win the Euros, because everyone's got some flaws. The Euros are going to be great because you have England, you have, I'm not going to even say Germany, because Germany's been a big story. They got throttled by Japan. I'm going to talk a little bit about Japan in uh, Czech Complete. But Spain, you know, Italy, you've got to include on that top line. Portugal, you have uh, the Dutch England is better than has the better squad. Yeah, they're not the best. Uh, you know, guys like Calvin Phillips shouldn't be starting. They need to have better defensively, but they are still. I mean, they are so strong. And in Jude Bellingham, I have seen enough to know, and he has done everything the right way. He's twenty. He look. He's just this beautiful player. He is on a trajectory to be the greatest England player of all time. That's right. I said that. I didn't say he was going to be, but he's on that trajectory. Starting and starring for Real Madrid just out of being a teenager and playing important games for your country. Jude Bellingham is going to be on that Mount Rushmore, however you want to describe it, of stars in the the months ahead, the years ahead. He's going to be super popular. He's a, a lovely guy. By the way, he's got a younger brother in Job Bellingham, which I found out because I was following Noel Buck of the New England Revolution, playing for the England under-19s. And I looked at Noel Buck to see, okay, did he start? And when I clicked on it, I go, it's Bellingham. And I saw Job Bellingham, who plays uh, at Sunderland, uh, originally from Birmingham City. So both Bellinghams came from Birmingham City. The big news from Birmingham City that Tom Brady announced that he was going to be a, an owner so uh, Birmingham City, recent, so recent purchase, Birmingham City looking to come back. If they can get one of those Bellinghams back, it'd be good. They're not going to get Jude. They're not going to get Jude. Who, uh, and he looks so comfortable in that Real Madrid shirt. He was insane in this England game. Scored a goal, 
and had an incredible assist to Harry Kane. He is just becoming one of my favorite players, top two or three to watch right now. And he will be the, he can very well be the greatest England player of all time. And England are, England are going to win the Euros. I don't say that easily because I know we're like, ah, ha, ha. I've never said that before. I'm just telling you, you've heard it here on the Soccer OG. First, England are going to win the Euros next summer. It is time now to talk about the United States. Two games against Uzbekistan, Oman. We had some bad. We had some good. Heath Pierce, U.S. men's national team. Uh, <laughs> a player, former player. Media mogul. Redondo Beach brethren here. Joins me next here on the Soccer OG. We head into the business end next. Welcome back. We're here in the business end. Uh, a man who needs no introduction. I'll do it anyway. Heath Pierce, who I get to. I've got to work with this year on MLS Season Pass. Covers the U.S. national team. Former U.S. national team player joins us. How are you doing, Heath? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Max? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, man. I'm feeling pretty good. Had a nice workout this a.m. Mm-hmm. Got all the nice. Got the, the got the. Blood are you an, are you an are you an AM workout guy? Or are you a PM? Like where where what's your a, where, where do you peak energy wise? I am a PM guy because I'm not really an early riser, but I need to shift right because I feel much better the day. So I'm I'm hoping to do that, but it's never consistent. And I'm you know old dog new tricks at this point. But mm. what about you? I'm I'm a morning one, you know, just from most like, people are years old till through my professional career when you train at 10 a.m for the most part you know it's kind of like <laughs> your second workout trained, yeah my body is trained to like get to early afternoon and be like hey isn't it nap time even though i don't get naps anymore it's like that sort of like peak of energy where you know that that's where your your window is going to be uh which was always bizarre uh because then you play your games at 7 30 p.m usually uh, uh on the weekend which is when your body's settling down. But yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a morning person. I start to get a little anxiety if I get to the afternoon and don't have something planned for later on. So yeah, morning it is. There we go. We get to know a little bit more about Heath. Uh, let's get into this game because about, let me yeah. start with this because it's hard to get excited for this September window. This is usually right after World Cup that's in the summer. The World Cup was back in November, December, but this window's weird. Uh, there's World Cup qualifiers going on. I don't know how these South American guys are getting up for that. I know they are, but it's hard when it's three years away. Mm-hmm. So this is not the most exciting window. So there are challenges. Not to mention that so many of these players in Europe were just starting their league. So they have three games in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go to your... I can't imagine that's ideal. Falar and Balogun hasn't even really gotten started with his team. And now that's... How hard is that? Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, it, you got a lot of guys with a bunch of different priorities. On one hand, you see a Weston McKinney in, in the last game come in and have this sharpness because, you know, he's gone through the controversies of whether they're just rumors or not, that he's not really part of Juventus plans and whatever, but you see this freshness to him, right, in terms of his energy, his his impact. And then you see other guys getting into a rhythm, still looking for that flow, whether they've made a club change over the summer or whatever. It's, it, it, is, it is a hard window um for sure uh but it, it, nonetheless like if you're a player on the team you're you're happy to get together there's a few guys that you're maybe thinking like i should probably be at my club but the bigger the club the more empty that club is going to be during an international break right so in yeah. theory when i was playing in the bundesliga it was only me and two other guys that left and we were sort of punished for leaving and so the whole team was training right whereas these guys now they're all champions league clubs or big clubs and so when 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 you know 
it's an international break. It's 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 a ghost town. So it probably makes sense for them to join up with the national team and make the most of that time. So I mean, saying that, I, I think it's important not to get too down by the Uzbekistan performance. I know people look at the scoreline and you had this Mexico result, which is, I guess, gives it a little bit more gas in there. Uh, and then we can't get too high for this game on Tuesday night, which and that was really impressive. I was I was surprised by Oman because they kind of came out in a 4-4-2. Uzbekistan was very cautious, five in the back. Greg Berhalter mentioned that. Oman, kinda, I don't know if they came to play because they barely touched the ball, but I don't know what their plan was. But it was like, it was a... Uh, it was a lamb to the slaughter, I, I guess. And this U.S. Mm-hmm. team went after it. They have a good habit of scoring first. Uh, we, we could lean more into that game. But what did you think about that response and how quickly they came out? You know, Balogun scoring and just piling on that in the second half. Yeah, I, I obviously, it, it doesn't matter whether it's at the club level or the international level, getting that goal and getting it early changes the dynamic of every game, right? We've seen when the U.S. team... Um, is able to do that. And we've seen that with our favorite club teams when they're able to do that. It just shifts the whole whole game plan, right? So if you're Oman, you're not thinking, how do I, you know, how do I now come back from a one nil deficit 15 minutes into the game? You're thinking, okay, you know, how do we settle into a match and whatever? And so those early goals change the dynamic of, of matches, no matter what level uh, you're playing at. But just to see the response of this U.S. side uh, come out with an energy with a confidence, with a belief, uh, with that same group, I thought is a, is a really great response. And it shows you, again, the quality of the individual and the collective unit and their ability to kind of learn and realize that something was was subpar in the first game and to come out with it with a different attitude in the second. Uh, it gives you a little bit more of a glimpse of what could be with this team down the road, you know. 21 players used over these two games. How did you see Greg Berhalter? He's back. I mean, we're on social media. It's it's hard at times to just absorb the 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 toxicity uh, towards him, but it is what it is. He's a big boy, does it? But I thought he did he did well. I mean, fortunate no one gets injured, but he pulled guys out at half times when they did. And mm-hmm. from one game to the next, it was a lot better. The players are on board for him. Just seeing how he. <laughs> incorporated again how would you view what how greg did in these two games yeah i think when you look at the first game but more than anything i don't think the struggle was greg's problem in that first game right it's how he then brings that group together to prep for the second game the first game you put out we put out the players we wanted we got the team that we wanted for the most part right oh but it's greg's fault though man what are you talking about if a guy can't dribble it's it's greg's fault I, I, I get the lines of confrontation and the tactics can all fall on Greg, but in terms of the energy, the quality of the passing, the response, the taking what the game gives you, that's on the players themselves. And I think that window between, you know, granted there's been a complaint for months about, Oh, why did we waste our window with Uzbekistan and Oman when we could have played Brazil and Argentina, right? As if it's just that easy to just pick who you want to play. Um, but the, the response between the two games, I think, is a sign of, of of progress and hopefully some honesty within the team. Obviously, they've they've set new goals and new standards for where they want to go as a group. This group is now battle battle tested from a World Cup, and it just seems like when you look at that Oman game, that's where I think the coaching happens from the first game to the second. Um, in that response and getting those players motivated, getting those players to understand and interpret that information, and then put that onto the field in a second performance using more players. I think is again really important whether that's 
getting Brendan Aronson more minutes as he works his way at the club level. Uh, uh, ben Hameen, uh, getting him time with the team. Mark McKenzie, who I thought who's been on the outside looking in for a while, regardless of his performances, just in terms of pecking order, him getting some time. Um, and, and just Kevin Paredes as well, while still getting some really crucial minutes out of your, 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 what looks pretty clear as like our first 11 or we'll call it our first 13. Um, so yeah, overall, I think it's a successful measurement on how I personally would judge Greg on these two camps. Is the discussion about the volume of crosses legit? Because there are a lot of crosses. But I thought they, I mean, they obviously crossed the ball a lot in this Oman game and were successful. Even Uzbekistan, to a less degree, they got the goal by Weya, which was from a cross. And Weston McKinney just, he just looked perfect uh, against Oman. You'd mm-hmm. hope that he can uh, duplicate that, not, not only for country, but for club. Because he, he kind of reminded me of Andrea Pirlo's every pass. Mm-hmm. It was really good. But the crosses, I mean, they found different ways to get in. They're coming from these wide areas and being... I guess by necessity, I don't know if they have that interior um, that in very few teams do that interior influence to be able to break down teams in the middle. So you kind of get out there. Is that, is it too predictable? Is it something that they can hang their hat on? Well, I think when, when you look at just the mix in the player pool that we have, you know, a, a, uh, a Tim way is going to be very different than a Gio Reyna, right? Gio Reyna has the ability to combine inside right. and create that penetration through the middle. Uh, Tim Weah, I think, has the ability to do that at times. But what I've always liked about his game and what what's made the national team a lot better is his predictability, right? You know he's going to go down to the touchline. You know he wants to get into wide areas. He wants to get it one-on-one. He wants to create some separation. He wants to get the ball in the box. And I think there's a real beauty in that for our national team of knowing where's the next ball going to come. And that's gonna he knows he's going to have one-on-one battles and you get the ball into dangerous areas. Now it's on the other players around that to change your game up or for him to take his game to the next level of saying, okay, now looks like I'm going to go to line. I'm going to now come inside and combine. And we saw that a few times in qualifying where his game changed up a little bit. I think that's a personnel thing. Uh, And now it's just about adding pieces, right? And the big part of that is in the future is, do you go Musa McKinney Adams, which is a pretty defensive way to play, or are you talking about a Gio Reyna inside and, and another player that can actually start to have that combination play that brings Christian Pulisic into the game, that brings Timo away into the game, that brings Balogun or Pepe into the game in a way that now you're creating little overloads um, through passing, through triangulation, things like that, that changes the dynamic, right? Because you said it, if that becomes predictable and a team sits in a deep block, we're in trouble. We've got to now evolve over these next couple of years to say, okay, if a team wants to sit back, we've got a number of ways that we're going to push and pull you apart, not just change the point of attack, but actually probe you inside to pull players out, little darting runs um, that can create some danger through the middle as well. So that now they're condensing on the inside. Now we've got more space on the outside. So that fluctuation, I think, is really important for this team um, and to, to, to putting a team on the field that, that's capable of that because that's a personnel-based sort of quality. Hey, you mentioned that that core group of 13, and that's a, right on the money. I think depth is in, is something the U.S. has to work on. There's, you know, when you get a little further down, those injuries to Adams and Reyna, we saw it on the back end. It was good to see it. I love how you call them Benjamin. That's it. No last name. Yeah. Just like, no, just like Ronaldo. Benjamin. Yeah. 
Ben Hameen. Like there, you if and, put it on the back and, of his until shirt. There's another until there's another Ben Hameen. I'm calling him Ben Hameen. I think that's I a great. Uh, you know, like it just feels a little bit more um, permanent, right? If you if we call him Kramasi uh, uh, or uh, it's just a, it's a name on the back of a shirt. Where if I call him Ben Hameen, it's like the he, this guy he belongs here. You know, like he's it's a little more permanent. I'm, I'm maybe I'm willing that into existence so he doesn't go play for Argentina. Hey, you've got me on board. I mean, Argentina will be furious if they see that Ben Hamin on the back of the shirt. Uh, but yeah. I don't know if he's—I don't know if he has uh, that national World Cup or Copa America uh, play around him. Possibly, it's a good start. There's a lot of other guys, but depth was an issue. But going to that core group, I know I diminished the September window a bit, saying it's not the the best to really make prisoner of the moment comments. But I, I'm going to make one. Because I thought Weston McKinney would be like a really good super sub. And I, 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 in my looking at the Nations League, I go, I loved what Gio Reyna and Adams and Musa would look like. And maybe that's a good, that's a good trident in the midfield. But after these two games, it's not only do I see how well Weston McKinney can work in there, I get the impression that he is really one of Greg's guys. He, Greg must trust him. Uh, he gives him so much responsibility based in that Oman game that I, it seems like to move him to the bench would be unlikely. I don't know what that makes to the midfield. Uh, it, I, but those four guys, those four guys, there's three spots. How do we alleviate that? Do you agree that Weston McKinney kind of more likely is going to start in important games than come off the bench? I would, I, I think right now it's, it's really easy to, for that to be because Weston McKinney's playing well. And we don't have four guys right now. And so it makes it a lot easier to make it, a, you know, it makes it a lot easier to, to make that argument. Once you get Tyler Adams back, he's probably still going to be your, your six, right? Unless you can get a Musa to be that. He's discipline. in. Yeah. Musa still also, I think Musa still has the most upside with, with, um, with um, Gio Reyna in terms of like, these guys could be superstars. Musa doesn't look that now. He's got to get his games. He's got to get into his rhythm. He's got to kind of get all that back and continue to grow. Uh, because previous to this camp, I was like, like you, McKinney seems the odd man out, right? Uh, his performances weren't spectacular. The club situation, how he played at Leeds. And, but now you're seeing a renewed uh, McKinney. And so it's going to be ultimately more of a tactical decision in the end. Do you want to be more attacking? Do you want to be more defensive? And if so, what is... West, what is Weston McKinney's role within this national team? Because uh, you go back to his first year at, at at Juventus, he was a lot more advanced on the field, right? He was a lot closer to goal. He was trying to create more opportunities. Since that first year, he sits a little bit deeper on the field. So kind of finding that position and then what that balance is so we don't just have too many neutral players. We got to have some, you know, specialty uh, players on the field that, that can either – be great defensively in, in a Tyler Adams or can be great offensively in a Gio Reyna, right? And I think we saw MMA is a great solid foundation, but that evolution means somebody's got to find their way to the bench. And I'm not sure who's going to, who that's going to be just yet, but I, I do think it's got to evolve from MMA. And I would agree with that. It's going to be a very difficult decision. And those decisions, assuming, hoping that Gio Reyna is healthy for October, we will yeah. address them, but it's, you know, sometimes these national teams, you know, it better than anyone. It's not just, you don't throw the best 11 players. You got to find those things that fit and maybe uh, certain guys that may not be at that level fit better with those teammates. I wanted to ask yeah. you uh, about the striker situation because I'll, Ricardo Pepe, six goals in six games. 
doing great for the national team, laboring with his club, which I think is no minor detail here. You have to take that into consideration. But he, uh, a lot of people, including our guy, Herc, uh, saying that there might be a competition at number nine. By the way, Herc, Heath, and I all live in the same neighborhood. We never see each other, which is a real shame. We all live like a couple miles apart. We'll call it because it's a hyper-congested uh, area. You know, It's not yes. like uh, we're on three local nearby farms where we ride the four-wheelers we're, with each other. We're know? not There's zooming across 50, the street. <laughs> There's 50,000 other people in the area, uh, in the neighborhood. But It is. Um, it's a very popular area. But, I, I, I guess to get into the 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 striker debate, I, 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 is there is because I, let me just finish. It's for, I mean, I, I for four years we were talking about who's going to be the striker, and I go, Falar and Balligan comes in here. He's playing well enough. Hasn't really got you know. This was a, a camp where he just didn't have his legs. Obviously, he started both games. I'm thrilled he got that second start. Had a really nice goal. Ricardo Pepe deserves a shot at that, but I'm like, I don't want to go through this again. Until we see mm-hmm. that Falar and Balligan may not be that guy. I want, I almost, and I know they're not going to say it, and Greg Berhalter is going to say we want competition. I almost want the same way Christian Pulisic, or at least get closer to that. Falar Balligan's the guy. A few months go by and he doesn't do it, then we can have that conversation. Is that yeah. too, is that too uh, pie in the sky? Well, again, I think I think club play is going to dictate, hopefully dictate the quality of these yeah. strikers. The, right now you have a Ricardo Pepe that's, that's, you know, rightfully behind uh, a, a a striker at at PSV that that isn't going to be easy for him to break into the team. Hopefully, that's part of the learning cycle, and that there is a plan for him to advance uh, and and get those uh, crucial minutes. And uh, Balogun, who's a big transfer signing that we saw in a few flashes with the national team. I mean, this guy could be spectacular, right? And you saw that explosiveness in tight spaces. You saw things, you saw him solve things in a way that very few players in our national team history have done at his young age, uh, even. So I, I do think that it's Balogun's spot. But when you get into these situations where if Balogun goes six months without scoring, maybe that changes, right? Uh, maybe between camps, if it's a if it's a drought, uh, you have the two of them. You have Josh Sargent starting to make his way back in and that it gets merited by the ability to score goals and be dangerous. Um, but when you look at just the tools that Balogun has, I don't think any other striker has them. Although I do think Ricardo Pepe is a better natural finisher. Um, and so that's one of those sort of trade-offs that like, what do you want and what kind of player are you looking for? But when you think about the tools that Balogun has, teams that want to sit in a low block, a guy that can create something out of nothing, create his own chances, you know, can dribble, can also finish. I don't think there's much of a competition right now between the two of them. Although I do think they're on a, they're on a sort of parallel path to that. This will be a competition in time, you know, but it is Balogun's I think spot to, to lose right now. We had a lot more in the September camp than we uh, could have imagined. We barely scratched the surface. What, what, what MLS game are you calling this week? I've got, that's a good, uh, Houston. I'm in <laughs> Houston. Yeah. Uh, it took me a second to, to remember that Houston, uh, St. Louis. Houston. Um, oh, that's a good game. That's a really good yeah, game. It's a great game. Fantastic game. Yeah, I'm super excited about that one. Um, and you but, may have avoided uh, that really south, that really gnarly South Texas heat. It's going to be hot, but it's not going to be July, August hot. Well, I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. I just know that the English booth is much hotter than the Spanish booth in Houston. Oh, it I've is. Been complaining about this for a while now, uh, uh, and I think I my my voice has finally been heard. But yeah, it's an, it's an unbelievable uh, matchup between the two of them. I've been super impressed with Houston this year. 
Uh, St. Louis obviously speaks for itself, and I think hopefully they feel like they're getting the credit they deserved as, after many people wrote them off. But Houston um, are one that you look last year to this year, and it's a lot easier to see just sort of that transformation, not just in the in the results, but in those same players that had bad years last year. Ben Olsen's getting, doing a good job of getting good out of those players, which is amazing. Yeah, watch your MLS, man. There's been some really good games and good stories, and Houston's one of them with that Hector Herrera, Coco Carasquilla, uh, uh, Amin Basi. Uh, by the way, 93 high, 76 low. That's not bad. Oh, oh yeah. Maybe we're in low 80s uh, uh, come kickoff time. Maybe low or 80s. 80s. You knows? got that. Yeah, I know I'll that. take either of those. Shell Energy, you have that big rotary fan above you. What is it? What is he? It's the oscillating fan above you. Uh, it doesn't help yeah. at all. But uh, thanks for fighting the good fight because I have a Houston game at the end of September. So if, if we get better conditions and a little bit like a temporary AC, I'll think of you, Heath. I like it. Appreciate that. <laughs> Heath Pierce, I'm able to see some past so many other places joining us here in the business end of the Soccer OG. We'll be back with Check Complete as we take a closer look at some of the big stories that came out of this September window outside of the U.S. Time now for Check Complete as we look at these uh, World Cup qualifiers with one little add-on, and that is of Japan. So before we talk about what happened in Komebol, I want to talk about this incredible surge from Japan who had a great World Cup, cut short by Croatia in the round of 16. But remember, they won Group E, they beat Spain, they beat Germany, and finished first in the group, got Croatia. Croatia beat them in penalties. Um, I thought Croatia was great that World Cup, but they should have been, that should have been Japan's day. I'm going to have, please check out my YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I have videos all the time. I have one there right now about the U.S. September window. Check it out. I am going to have a series of videos discussing big ticket items around the United States. And the first one, I'm not going to question whether the United States will win a World Cup. I'm going to say in a statement that the United States will never win a soccer World Cup. The men won't. I know you're gasping, and maybe they will, but not in my lifetime. And uh, I'm getting up there, but I still feel I have like 40 good years, if not more. <laughs> so that's a long time. I just don't see it. There's so many things in our, our sport, in our infrastructure that is flawed. But I'll get into that video. So if you're outraged, just wait for the video to come out. Check it out, coming out in, over the next week on my YouTube page, Max Bretos, under YouTube. Japan's a different story. Japan, to me, can win a World Cup in my lifetime, and I would expect them to be competing for one as soon as USA, Mexico, Canada, 2026. Look at this window, and this is these are not isolated incidents anymore. And you look at everything about their program, and you nod and say, that is world class. The coaching the facilities, the resources, the players all playing in Europe, many for top, top clubs. The spirit, everything about it. And then all those little added disciplines about being Japanese that make that culture very special. We always have in sports, or specifically in soccer, the Brazilians play a certain way and the Germans play a certain way. Germans always really good teamwork. The Brazilians, the sexy football, it all works for everyone, at least for the countries that have things that work. Maybe Japan has those qualities, and I don't want to finger point, but we, you know, there is there's so much respect um, endowed to elders and athletes and things like that in, in, in Japan and order. So that uh, I think it will serve them well in a soccer capacity. It, they almost had that run. 
If they can buy Croatia, why not? Why not? They are fearless. So they beat Spain. They beat Germany. This window, they go to Wolfsburg and crush the Germans 4-1. Then they go to Belgium, neutral field, and crush the Turks 4-2. In the June window prior to that, they beat El Salvador 6-0. That was in Japan, same as their 4-0 victory over Peru. So not only are they winning, they're crushing teams, and they're scoring a ton of goals. So their last four internationals... You know, I know El Salvador is not up there, but Peru's in the South American region. You have to consider them a top-tier team. They were in the World Cup not that long ago. What is that? 18 goals in four games. So keep your eye on Japan because they're just going to get better. I mean, you look at this. I mean, even when you, you, you they have that roster announced, Karu Mitoma, who plays at Brighton, maybe the most exciting Japanese prospect or talent that's out there. Wataru Endo, who just went to Liverpool. Takefusa Kubo, who is at Real Sociedad. And then many more players already in Germany and multiple different European leagues. They are embedded. And they're going to have a superstar player. I like Matoma. I don't know if he's going to reach superstar, you know, like next level. But uh, maybe that next guy is coming soon. Why not? I'm all in on Japan. Take all my chips. So South American World Cup qualifying started here in September of 2023. World Cup begins when? June of 2026, 33 months away. The re- this was recently added, and because of it, that's why the United States didn't play Argentina-Brazil in uh, that World Cup window uh, these past few days. And they had to switch up to get Uzbekistan-Oman. There's just not a lot of opponents out there. So that was a big, that was a disappointment for the United States, but they made some lemonade out of the lemons here. They'll get Germany next year, who got softened up by the Japanese. They move that up. Now, remember, there's World Cup expansion. There are 10 teams in the South American region. Six will qualify automatically, and they'll, in all likelihood, get a seventh team through the playoff. So we're talking about 28 months, with 26 months of qualifying over that stretch, not qualifying every month, or, to eliminate three teams. And you kind of know those three teams. It's usually Bolivia and Venezuela aren't going to make it. Now, Venezuela's improving, and they had a real nice win. Uh, I think it was Paraguay. Sorry, I'm pulling that up. And, yeah, they beat Paraguay. So maybe they avoid those last two spots. There are some flawed teams. Bolivia lost at home to Argentina. Uh, Ecuador had to start in a four-point hole, but they got a win and a point, so they're out of that hole. Chile's down. Peru's down. So, I mean, I think it's pretty safe. And we'll, we'll, re- we'll cycle back to this, and I guarantee you I'm going to be right. Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Uruguay, Ecuador, and Paraguay, Venezuela. Those are going to be the seven teams. Maybe not Venezuela. Could it be Venezuela? It's Venezuela or Chile. So we're, we're, we're doing this whole process for Venezuela and Chile, or maybe Paraguay, for three teams not to make the two. Bolivia's not going to make it, and I don't think Peru has it. Uh, they're going through a new coach, and they haven't embedded new players. Chile really can't make it. Gary Medel is 40 years old, and he's still playing defensively. Chile's not going to make it. They're in a mess. And I talk to some of the players there, South American, uh, when I'm over at LAFC training. I go, what is this? All, what do you think about this? I go, man, it's impossible to get up for these games. Impossible. I'm glad they're going on. It's something to watch. I've enjoyed them. Telemundo getting these games uh, with Argentina and Brazil. Fantastic. So you get to see it, but it's rather anticlimactic. And we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll muzzle through. But, you know, the United States should have played Argentina and Brazil. And this is the reason not, I mean, it's, uh, 
It's too massive for this expanded World Cup. I, by the way, every day when I see these September windows, I warm up more and more to a 48-team World Cup. As I said, that means we might get a Norway. That means we might get an Albania. That means we might get Oman or Uzbekistan. Why not? I'll watch it. 32 teams probably is perfect, but you can't stop the progress of the world game and you got to let more people into the party. So it was going to happen. And at some point, don't kill the messenger here. At some point, <laughs> they're going to expand it to 64 teams because that is a perfect round number. 16 groups of four. There you go. It's going to be amazing to see that World Cup because whoever wins it's going to have to win a round of 32, round of 16, quarterfinal, semi. They're going to win, have to win five in addition, five games in addition to win their group of three. Uh, all sorts of things can happen in a round of 32 game. I could tell you that. Your World Cup trophy is miles away, is even if you are the number one team in the world. But I'm still okay. I'm not going to sit here and go, we want, you know, I'm not going to be the traditionalist. I'm embracing the 48 teams and seeing the positives that will come from it, and there are plentiful. Maybe we'll get Venezuela. Who doesn't want Venezuela in the World Cup? They probably would have been able to touch it until they expanded to six or seven teams. But Venezuela might make a World Cup because the, the bottom of South America is sagging. Bolivia, Chile, Peru. I like Paraguay, but yeah, who's Gu uh, Guillermo Barros Esqueloto coaching there. I mean, they, they don't score goals. Uh, they lost to Venezuela, so why wouldn't Venezuela think they get through? And this is great, too, because MLS has all these players on a Venezuelan team. Uh, Joseph Martinez and... Christian Macoon and Jefferson Savarino, Sergio Cordova. That's our team. Christian Cáceres. We love Venezuela. We want them to get him in there. But there's a long time to qualify, to, <laughs> to see what we're getting at. And, and the, the reason I bring this all up is we need, to, we need to be better to these players. As I said at the beginning, to, ha it's, to have these players playing in their leagues and then coming for a game like this, so far away from anything important, doesn't make a lot of sense. Especially for the European-based players who just started their season. In the United States, as I touched on with um, Heath, Falar and Balogun just got to his club days ago. Just started to get fit and he's off to the U.S. Now everyone wants to represent their country, I get it. But this has got to be a hard one to ramp it up. So I forgive the U.S. for coming out a bit flat or any other country that came out flat. Many didn't. We saw what Japan did. Uh, that's another thing that I like Japan about. To have that edge in a dead window like this, that's all you need to know. There is never a dull minute. And by the way, we get into the European season and we have Bayern Leverkusen on Friday. Leverkusen, if you haven't noticed, are just this exciting young team that um, has all the, I mean, coached, uh, they have all the ingredients of a team that could maybe end that Bayern Munich uh, stranglehold. Xabi Alonso is doing an amazing job there. Uh, two really remarkable young players in 22-year-old uh, Victor Boniface, uh, the Nigerian striker, and of course the wonder kid that uh, will probably be the number 10 for Germany at some point, Florian Wirtz. You have that, and then you have the Milan Derby, so enjoy it all. Make sure you listen to the Soccer OG here on the podcast. Listen to some of the old podcasts. Check out Soccer OG under my name, Max Barretos, and you'll be ready and covered. Always great to spend some time for you. Appreciate you joining me and allowing me to have this forum wherever you are in the world. 
we will talk about what's important to you. Until I see you again, this is the Soccer OG saying, Placido Domingo!